97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. We have my good friend and mentor in the Whale Club, Dan Nicholson, with us today. Dan is the best-selling author of the book Rigging the Game, the creator of the Certainty Operating System, and, and the inspiration for this podcast. We do this show because Dan once asked us, how do we get closer to the things that we want in life without chasing more and more? We're here to achieve financial certainty by rigging the game in our favor. If you get value out of this show, please share this episode right now. That way we can all learn and grow together. You guys are going to hear us speaking a totally different language on this show. It might cause a little bit of confusion. That's okay. We encourage you to keep the loop open. Please write your takeaways in the live chat, and after you've thought about it, put your six-word update in the comments below. The title for today's show is Unexploitable, very mysterious and very important. So, uh, Dan, welcome in. It's great to have you. We always kick this off with a six-word update. So what is your six-word update today? Well, I wanted to say first that was a sexy intro, but that was, that's not my six-word update. Uh, <laughs> chasing more can make you exploitable. I like that. Do tell. So I have, a, I have a lot to say on this topic, but I'll rein myself in a little bit. All right. So here's the reality. We talk about these two tyrants of leadership. When you go out on your journey, hopefully you all are playing your game. You go out, you start a business or maybe multiple businesses. What do we get? We get a ton of scrutiny, often from the people who love us the most. Maybe our spouse or best friend or mom or dad uncles, aunts, etc. get all this scrutiny. You sure you know what you're doing? Sure you can do this? Hey, this the last thing you didn't work, didn't work. Why would this work? And then what happens after the scrutiny? Expectations. You get some results and people go, oh, of course, Paul would have all these results. And you're like, hold on, weren't you the same person who was just scrutinizing me? Now you have all these expectations. And that's just the reality. And then we have these two internal tyrants, shame and guilt. And mm -hmm. so we're running this race against ourselves, where we feel all this, uh, should have done this. Why didn't I see this coming? Could have known better. What does this mean about me? And so we've got this internal battle. Mm -hmm. All that to say, many of us as entrepreneurs are experiencing a massive amount of pain, massive amount of pain because the scrutiny expectation. We're trying to trying to make it, trying to prove to ourselves, the rest of the world that we're capable. And then we have this whole dopamine biological thing as part of us, dopamine, the molecule of more. 
So we keep thinking, well, I'm just about to make it. I've had so many conversations with folks whose businesses have been dumpster fires for five years, 10 years, 15 years. And they're like, I'm one move away from this blowing up. And this is going to be my year. And this is what makes us exploitable. And what do I mean by being exploitable? It means that when we're in this mentality where we're feeling all this pain, we don't have the right mentors, we're not in the whale club, uh, we're not executing on the certainty operating, we don't have these mental models. Uh, we are easily sold by the charlatans that one hack, that one thing that if you just do it differently, it's going to change your whole life, right? The and magic bullet, right? To that, there's these magic bullets time and time again in the moments of weakness where we're feeling that pain. We're like, okay, I'll, I'm skeptical, but I got to do something different. So I might as well, might as well try it. Mm -hmm. and well, that's good, Dan. Let me, let me hit a few other things because like, I want to get your background first. I think it's been a little while since we've had you on this show and uh, let me slow down for just a sec. Uh, first of all, I don't know if anybody's watching this live, but my six word update today is Hawaiian shirt Friday for Dan's birthday. So uh, Dan just had a birthday this week. So happy birthday, Dan. And I don't know, man, we might have to start bringing back the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian shirts I, on Friday. I mean, that should just be the standard. I know. Well, I'll have to just order a dozen Hawaiian shirts, I guess. That's just going to be the thing. And I'm desperate for a nice warm day. It's like we've been getting so much snow and freezing cold here in Denver. So I'm, I'm tired of it. But tell us a little bit about your background, Dan. I mean, you just have such an incredible, uh, you know, 25 years or more of experience in industry. Tell us a little bit about where you came from and how you got to where you are today. Uh, I came from being a painfully, painfully shy kid with a speech problem. And uh, when I sit, whenever my parents around, they hear me like pain, say anything like painfully shy, they're like painfully, painfully, like make sure you add all the, it wasn't just one painfully shy. It was like multiple painfully uh, shy. So uh, that's still a part of me today, even though, I don't have the speech problem. Usually every once in a while, you might catch me with a stumbling over a multi-syllable word or something. Um, but at the same point, I was always kind of entrepreneurial scheming. I uh, running the figures in my head of like, how much am I going to make on a paper route? Of course, that dates dates me a bit. Um, so I always had an interest in, in business. Uh, wasn't until end of high school, uh, start a college that I started to get some confidence and uh, really start to kind of uh, believe in myself and uh, got these uh, two technical degrees, accounting and an information systems degree. And I thought, okay, combination technology, accounting, that's going to be the best skill set to be an entrepreneur. And then I went as far away as you can possibly go from being an entrepreneur, which is I did a fellowship at the board that writes all the U.S. accounting standards. Closest equivalent is graduating law school, clerking for the Supreme Court. That's sort of the cl closest equivalent. Hmm. So here I was helping write this derivatives and hedge accounting standard and uh, going, what am, I, what, am, what am I doing? <laughs> Felt really out of place. So I'm the first person in my family to go to college. My dad was a machinist. My mom either stayed at home with us or later she was uh, uh, worked in a, 
uh, elementary school cafeteria. So she was a lunch lady. And uh, the other six fellows, their, their dads were like the top cardiologist in the U.S. and the um, CFO of one of the three largest uh, insurance companies. And it's like this whole list. They all got like BMWs and Audis when they graduated from college. And I was like, cool, I have this like Honda Civic. My mom's a lunch lady. Like, I got no shame. I'm pr proud of the fact that they got through their life and gave me the opportunity to, to do this. But I still felt... Uh, very, very out of place. And, uh, and somewhat like that's the path I needed to follow because here I was 22, 23, um, you know, making more than my parents ever had. And so I followed that for a while, worked for a big global accounting firm, um, clients that typically had a hundred billion dollars in their uh, treasury or more, worked for a Warren Buffett back company worked in strategic finance. I kept getting all these jobs every two or three years because people were naive enough to think I was smart because I had this fellowship thing on my resume. And so they kept sort of like, well, you like you keep changing jobs every couple of years, but you know, you seem smart enough. And really I was just miserable in because I wasn't actually chasing, I wasn't actually being an entrepreneur. I was feeling like I should be following this certain career path uh like i owed it to my parents even though they didn't they weren't telling me that they would support me in whatever i would i would do mm -hmm. so finally about 15 years ago i started my own business which was an accounting firm that was the thing that i gave myself permission to do and that's when over the next five to seven years i had to unlearn almost everything i thought i knew about business and that's what became uh the certainty operating system, CCA, solvable problem, all these other things, really intended to solve my own problems. And uh, seeing thousands of clients at that point do the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and you mentioned unlearning, and that's that's something I had to learn from you is that I had to unlearn all of these bad habits that I had accumulated or these false beliefs or these uh, you know, I wouldn't say unlearn my biases, but I had to recognize that I was dealing with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the problem that we're going to talk about today, the title of this show is unexploitable. How do we create an unexploitable business? And, and really, the problem is that a lot of us are operating businesses that are highly exploitable. We're susceptible to chasing more. We're susceptible to having a really bad quarter. I think a lot of real estate investors are going through that right now. 100%. You know, in the in the last six months, we had a brutal, brutal winter in the real estate market. You know, you know, you are you and I do a bunch of stuff in the blockchain crypto space. And so that was a brutal winter. Yeah. And we started, as Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you start seeing who's uh, who's swimming naked. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's sort of the idea here is that as business owners, we have chinks in our armor and we want to design this, the business so that we are unexploitable. So remind us again, when you, when you say unexploitable, what does that mean to you? I mean that uh, we're going to play our game and uh, we're clear on ourselves. When we're, when we're playing our game and we're clear on our solvable problem and we're uh, in alignment with our definition of discipline, which for those of you that aren't familiar, discipline is what 
would I be a disciple of myself? If there was a camera following me around, would I want to follow that person? So I'm playing my game. I'm following my solvable problem. And I would be a disciple of myself. When I violate one or all of those, I'm incredibly exploitable. Someone's going to sell me something. I'm going to chase after more, um, probably because I'm in a bunch of pain or I'm just look, trying to create problems so I have something to solve. Yeah. And you taught me about this rule around seeking consensus. Well, I should say not seeking consensus uh -huh. super early in the process. You know, it starts by being a kid. You know, we have our parents who have these, quote, expectations. You know, you talked about the two tyrants of leadership here, scrutiny and expectations. And so we grow up feeling like we have these expectations to go get this great college degree. And there's this lined out path. And of course, as entrepreneurs, a lot of us just don't we don't fit in that box. Mm -hmm. But we feel this this weight of these expectations um, and it oftentimes gets us out of playing our game and we're seeking consensus without even realizing it. That's sort of where it starts. Yeah, 100%. So consensus is not the first step in the process. If you went to business school, uh, you probably think consensus is the first step. You're, you were taught to, we got to get everyone on board and uh, it's the last step. And here's why, let me just make my argument to try and persuade folks. Basic diffusion of innovation. Uh, I think many listeners probably heard you guys talk about diffusion of innovation. I'll just broadly summarize. It's the way new ideas are adopted or diffused. And there's innovators and early adopters. A lot of entrepreneurs are in that innovator early adopter. It's a very small percentage of the overall population of, of folks who are going to ultimately uh, consume this or utilize this idea. It's less than 20%. Then there are uh, early majority, late majority laggards. The innovators and early adopters, they, they buy ideas, they, they get interested in innovation, typically based off credibility and stature. Who's bringing this idea to the market? Uh, when we move past that, most people and the, the majority that are gonna uh, diffuse this idea, they're looking for safety. Uh, has it been done before? Do my friends already use it? Like they're looking for safety. Okay, so you come with a new idea. Chances are, everybody uh, that's on your team, or the majority of the people on your team, they're not innovators or early adopters. They're mid-majority, late-majority laggards. And so, if you're trying to get consensus from them, they're going to want it to feel safe. Now, in the process of making it safe. Yes, it becomes mass market, uh, but it gets watered down. So you're trying to do something new. You bring it to everyone else. You're trying to get them to buy in. They're going to want it, you to water it down, make it safe, make it understandable, make it like something that's already been done before. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden, this innovative thing that you're doing is no longer innovative anymore. It lost all of that spirit because you're trying to get everyone else on board. Yeah. And so there's the danger. You have to get it far enough along in the process where things have been validated before you start bringing in the, the folks who are going to tell you why it's a bad idea. Right. 
and asking too early is is just going to confuse right and it gets you out of playing your game and so yes you know what does that mean when you say play your game playing your game what does that mean leaning into your default strengths your default tendencies the things that that allow you to be the catalyst so there's there's catalysts and there are beneficiaries catalysts are change agents most of us are not catalysts well most maybe people who are listening today many of you are catalysts uh, and uh and then there are beneficiaries they benefit from the the leader changing the direction of the company change whatever it is that, that the organization is about uh, and so in order for someone to be a catalyst uh, you are going to take on a lot of again scrutiny and expectations you're going to feel a lot of shame and guilt and if you're now all of a sudden trying to pretend that you're someone else that's just one more thing that's going to drag you down and make it harder for you to show up and do the difficult work that's required of someone to truly be the change agent, truly to be the catalyst. So we're going to lean into our strengths, the things that keep us excited and motivated and wanting to show up and being willing to face again all that scrutiny and expectations. Uh, and so that's that that's. Uh, Probably the most important thing right now, if people are f fearful about AI, which I know it's like a buzzy thing to talk about right now, mm -hmm. but uh, distinction has never been more important if the first draft of things can be done by robots. Yeah. You're going to take the first draft and make it distinct. Otherwise, why is anyone even going to pay attention? Well, how do you make it distinct? By playing your game by leaning into who you are and adding whatever your unique perspective is. So even if you didn't buy into the whole catalyst beneficiary argument I was making, hopefully you buy into the, well, if you're worried about AI, you better be focused on how you can be distinct. Yeah. And I want to circle back to how that ties into chasing more, how that creates, you know, opportunity to become exploitable. But before we do that, I want to hear a little bit more about the idea of the solvable problem, right? So we've identified playing your game is, is kind of like leaning into your, you like to say this phrase, your unique disposition, mm -hmm. your yeah. unique strengths, you, you know, what makes you, you, right? And before we start looking for other people to tell us how to make money in real estate, how to make money in any endeavor, right? This is a real estate focus show right so a lot of people they go on youtube and they watch somebody telling them how to make money in real estate and you know immediately they start going out and playing that game mm -hmm. and oftentimes without really considering well how does this fit with your own strengths how does this fit with the next thing i want to talk about which is the solvable problem mm -hmm. and so you know this is your phrase like i what a what a freaking awesome phrase for someone like me who's an engineer and steve who's also an engineer that just resonates so deeply in my soul this idea of of the solvable problem so do me a favor and explain that uh from your own words what you what you mean when you say solvable problem yeah a little bit of backstory if it's okay and cut me off if this is too many details paul um i've done masterminds coaching programs mentors all the mentorship stuff and many times I was told, hey, we need you to, to put together a vision board. 
And I'm kind of a, my personality is, is to be a little bit contrarian. <laughs> That's how I've come up with a lot of this stuff, to be honest, is like, oh, that doesn't make sense. There's got to be a different way to do this. Uh, and so I do the, I, it sort of reluctantly put together the vision boards and, you know, I always have like the six pack abs and like the picture of some idealized version of a parent because I got two kids myself and the, the second house and vacations and all, all this the kind of idealized version of life. And for like a week or two afterwards, I would be in the full like 10x mode. Like, I'm going to make all this happen. Let's go. Like, and I'm just basically on like a dopamine bender. You know, I'm like all fired up. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, I'm pretty much back to the old routine. And I've in six months, 12 months later, have I made significantly more progress towards this vision board happening? Not really. If anything, I might be worse off because of the stuff I did the first couple of weeks, the things I was committing to. And I started having all these conversations with other business owners I know and all the, that are friends and then client after client, like, hey, have you done a vision board with this? And almost, it was a rare, it's like the exception to the norm of someone who like had really made progress toward it. And what I realized was, well, the vision board doesn't really tell me anything I didn't already know. Like I already knew I wanted six back abs and all of that. All it did was cause me to just get fired up for a week or two. It wasn't actually a solvable problem. And so the solvable problem is how do I take what I want, uh, in this case from my life, what I want from my life, and give me an answer back about what I really need to do, how much more I actually need to make to accomplish that. And so we take all the things that we know that we want as of today, and we put a dollar value to it and a date. Now that we've done that, it's no longer this multivariable equation where we've got all these unknowns. Now we can actually calculate how much more do we need to make based off the resources we have right now. And once we know that, it allows us to say, well, how do I do that with the least amount of effort and the least amount of risk? Because a lot of times the number is smaller than what people are expecting. They're like, if I made 10 grand more per month, I'm going to, or 20 grand more per month, I'm going to, which is not an insignificant number, don't get me wrong, but I'm going to hit my goals in the next five to 10 years. And now that I understand that, I have like $20,000 worth of bets I'm making in my business right now that are not generating a return whatsoever. Let me just recapture those resources and allocate them towards actually having the life that I want. And so it becomes this basically GPS now for you to go, are my decisions really helping me get closer to what I want or getting me further away? I'm glad you said GPS because when I heard this, the first thing I thought of was Google Maps. I don't know if I got that analogy from you or from Nick or whoever, but you know, it's the idea that you know when you jump in Google or when you jump in your car to go somewhere, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, Google Maps is working out the solvable problem for how to get where you're trying to go. You have to give it a destination. First of all, typing in, I want to go north as far as possible yeah. is, is, is not really going to give you anything because 
I could go north from Denver to Seattle, come see you. I could go to Chicago. I could go to Canada, you know, the Arctic Circle, you know, and it's like, but you're also not giving it a timeline. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's sort of like, well, do I have to speed to get there? Can I pull over and use the bathroom if I need to? You know, like, can we go sightseeing? You know, what is the time frame? And so that idea of the solvable problem was was so obvious when you pointed it out, like define what you want, give it a timeline. That way we know the best route to get there, how long it's going to take and how fast we need to go. And maybe it's like, you know what, in order to get to where you need to go in the timeline you just proposed, like you're going to have to speed like crazy. And the risk is you get pulled over and thrown in jail and you never get in there in the first place or you get in a wreck or something. That's right. So that's how I thought of the solvable problem. And that analogy just sunk for me. And I'm glad that you called it the GPS because, you know, a lot of us just define this endpoint like arbitrarily, like, and yeah, we have a vision board. Here's some things that I want, but without an actual path to know how to get there and which direction to turn, you're going to give up after a few weeks. I know that to be true because I was, I did that in my business. Mm-hmm. We do, we, we do a lot of things that make us feel good in the short term and give us that rush because, again, business is hard. You're getting all the, the scrutiny and expectations and this internal shame and guilt. And so the vision board gives you a little boost. Mm-hmm. Um, the notion of like starting with why, it's like, oh, that can give you a little bit of a boost. Although for a lot of people, they don't know what their why is and it is a net negative for them. We get sort of artificially inflate ourselves for a moment. And back to being exploitable, you put yourself in a position. It's like if I'm a salesperson, especially like I'm someone for like a marketing agency, hell yeah, I want someone to have put together a vision board in the last two weeks. Like if I was selling marketing services, I'd be like, hey, have you done a vision board in the last two weeks? No? Uh, well, yes? Cool. Like I could probably sell you like right now because you are so hopped up on trying to make this happen. Uh, like you're very exploitable in this moment, chances are. Or like, no, you haven't? Like, hey, let me get you to put together a vision board because now you're gonna be all hyped up again and uh, I'm gonna sell you this quick fix. Mm-hmm. So just sort of being aware of how we are, I call it running a race against ourselves. how things that we're doing are putting ourselves in a position where we are probably going to uh, be overly aggressive, uh, buy into a narrative because it it uh, makes us feel good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, and back to your six-word update, chasing more can make you exploitable. And this is the idea that if you're not clear on what your game is and you're not clear on your solvable problem, you're very susceptible to what Dr. Jeff, you know, someone that you and I are both very close with calls the human mindset. You've called this biases. I would also reference your second wealth commandment over preference versus binary. The idea that there's not a right or wrong way 
to do this stuff, but your human brain is going to tell you that. But all the people that have products to sell you are going to tell you that, mm -hmm. that this is the right way to do it. Your brain's telling you, yeah, but if I don't take th this option, there may not be a better option. And so how do you, I mean, you helped me get over that. How do you help people and what your book talks about, you know, get past these, these biases, these biological things that are just rooted in our survival based instincts. How do we, how do we combat that? Yeah, it's a, it's a different, it's a, what I'm going to explain might sound somewhat simple, but it's not easy by any, by any means. So hundred percent aligned with you on this idea of uh, biases. We can call it human mindset versus champion's mind. We could use Dr. Daniel Kahneman's version, system one versus system two. There are a bunch of different versions of this that all point to the same thing, which is as humans, we are biased and we can read about them and know about them as much as we want, but we're still going to be subject to them. And so I take that as a huge relief, actually, because there's nothing wrong with me. It's part of the human condition that we're going to be biased. And so knowing that is how do we put ourselves in a position where uh, we have as much clarity as possible, whereas we have as much mental sobriety in making a decision. So my process is, is a thing worth doing? Like this conceptual, is a thing worth doing? Whatever it may be. Well, the first filter is, well, depends. What do you want? What do you want to do? And more times than not, the answer is like, I don't know what I want. Well, that's totally fine. Like I said, more times than not, you're going to go, I don't know. So the first step is then don't do anything. Go for a walk or take a nap. Because right now you're in a very high probability that because you're not sure, you're going to pick maybe the path of least resistance or the thing that just makes you feel the best, gives you the highest sort of rush in that moment. So don't do that. Take a break. Nick uh, Peterson, who's my business partner in several ventures, part of uh, Whale Club as well, certain to you. You know, he's he's pretty pretty well known social media and stuff that he takes a multiple naps a day. Sometimes it's just like five minutes. Sometimes I get some funny pictures of how like awkwardly he sleeps. He's like uh, pickles my dog, where you're like, how are you? That's like. You know, dogs sleep in like the most uncomfortable position sometimes. You're like, how are your, your head's like on a, a concrete block? Like, what are you doing? That's a uh, tangent, but that's how sometimes Nick looks when he's. Uh, Does that explain his bed head? Somewhat, maybe. I think he just has like resting bed head. Like, yeah. just, just, like, <laughs> just rest. It's just, he always ends up back in that position no matter what, what he does. Um, take a nap, go for a walk, come back. Hey, do it, did that give me any clarity? Did that sort of like reset me from all the ways in which I was biased, recency bias of stuff I saw on social media, things I just read, et cetera? Do I feel like I have an answer? Yes or no? And then is that answer relying on data, preponderance of data? Is there anything I know about this from the past? 
Chances are the answer is no. So now what I'm going to do is take a micro step. What's the smallest thing I can do, smallest step I can take that gets me more data? And unless I overwhelmingly have concluded, no, this is not something I want to do. So for me, I know my top priority is uh, while my kids still want to hang out with me, I want to be in town and hang out with them as much as possible. So stuff that requires me to do a bunch of travel or will have significantly less energy from, like that's just an easy no for me. Um, yeah. So 80% of the stuff I'm asked to do, I just filter out right away because it, based off my solvable problem, would get me further away. It's the 20% where I go for the walk, take the nap, come back, still don't have clarity, almost never have data. So I'm going to take a micro step and uh, see if the data gives me any direction. There's one last thing I want to say about this. And the reason why you want to take these small steps and get data is that over the course of your life, you read someone like Nassim Nicholas Taleb and his, his uh, various books, read my book, Rigging the Game, which is kind of about engineering luck. Taleb talks a lot about luck, is that the data suggests that there's these you know, three to five inflection points, uh, perhaps in your life where all your, or in market cycles, a couple of days out of the year where the real asymmetry happens, right? Um, and so really what we're trying to do is not capitalize on every single opportunity to have FOMO, but actually just be in position for when those opportunities, those significant opportunities in the market or the big opportunities in our lifetime, we can participate. Mm. And so that's actually what we're trying. That's how we engineer all that luck is just being in a position to actually participate. Yeah. Well, I thought it would actually be a good idea to share how you help me work through my own process and uh, what we did in the CCA. And, you know, it started with, I built this real estate business. I got into real estate because I was sick and tired of traveling to two cities a week for almost eight years. And I was selling at a really high level to some of the largest companies in the world, selling automation and innovation and tech. And I asked myself, is this worth doing? And I said, no, it's not. Um, so we had to make a change. Then I got into real estate and it was like, so what did I, first thing I did was, and, and maybe it's worth explaining a little bit that when I was selling, my style was not to sell a bunch of deals throughout the year. It was to sell one big giant deal. And, you know, I've, part of the reason why we called it the whale club is because that's what my, my boss used to call me the whale hunter. Hmm. Like it would drive him nuts because I would, you know, nothing throughout the whole year. And then I'd get this one giant whale at the end of the year and hit goal. And then everyone would be happy. But, uh, when I got into real estate, I started looking around and seeing how everybody else was doing real estate. And I found a lot of content around wholesaling and fix and flipping. And, you know, that's a, that's a volume based game. And 
because I was seeking consensus very early in the process. I didn't have this certainty operating system. I didn't know you and, and Nick at the time. I started building this business based on how everybody else built their business. And Steve and I are very different. You know, he has, we were very similar in a lot of ways, but very different in other ways. And uh, again, back to the preference thing, this is not a right or wrong way to build a real estate business. Uh, but what I did is I built this business based off of volume. By the time I met you, I was so burned out on trying to get my systems dialed in. You know, it felt like a game of whack-a-mole constantly, mm -hmm. trying to make sure all my deals didn't fall apart, my employees weren't going to leave, that the phone was going to ring because I didn't put the wrong phone number on the postcard that we sent out and all these things, right? And uh, what I realized was I had to ask myself, is, is this worth doing? Um, and I, and I think the answer I came to was like, well, yes, it is still worth doing. I still want real estate to be the vehicle that helps me build wealth in my life because I have a, such a passion for it. But, but like the way I was going about doing it was wrong. I was playing somebody else's game and you helped me point that out. Um, and so through that process of realizing that not only was I not playing my own game and I was not. Uh, getting closer to the things that I want, which was actually passive income. And it's like, well, Paul, what you did is you just created a job for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Um, and these were all things that you pointed out to me. Well, it takes a lot of uh, personal integrity back to like, would you be a disciple of yourself? Discipline is that it's, it's much more difficult to stop and realize this is not worth doing anymore than to just keep doing it. So we have this, this sort of anchoring quote, uh, people prefer the certainty of uh, misery over the misery of uncertainty. In other words, we're likely to just keep doing the same thing, even though we know it's bad for us, it doesn't make us, it's not getting us closer, but we keep doing it because we know, we know what to expect. It's like a bad relationship. It's like, yeah, yeah it's not great, but, uh, I know what to expect. And if I break up with this person, then I'm single, like maybe I'll never find someone again. So we just stay in these, these uh, bad relationships, these bad deals, keep operating our business in the same exact way, even though it's not serving us. So it takes a lot of uh, personal fortitude, personal integrity to go, this is not serving me. This is not actually getting me closer. I need to do something different. And for people who are watching, uh, that's what makes someone like Paul, someone that's worth following, because, uh, again, he has the integrity and willingness to change his mind when the new information is presented to him. And most of us aren't. We just aren't. Well, and so we talked about micro steps. Okay, first step is when you realize you're not playing your game, is to is to go take a walk right go take a nap maybe just stop doing what you're doing for a second and and try to seek a little bit of clarity what what would be worth doing what are your preferences and then when i started looking like wait a second i'm not a volume type of guy that's not my type of business um i'm also 
finding myself out of the, you know, I, I think I was put on this earth to be a salesperson. For some people, that sounds almost like nails on a chalkboard, like it's a bad word when you say salesperson. Uh -huh. yeah. um, I know that not to be true, but, you know, this is the Real Estate Disruptor Show. Steve has an entire sales you know, platform, so we're going to probably assume that most people aren't, aren't super offended by the word sales, but that's what I'm good at. But I found myself operating a business, and what I know now is I'm a terrible operator. If it comes down to me operating the business, the business is going to fail, likely. So what I needed, what I had to realize is like, Paul, you need very simple businesses, very simple businesses. And so that meant having to recapture like all of this money I was spending on marketing and employees and all these things and recapture all that because it was actually just leaks in the bucket to your point i was actually at my solvable problem for the most part i just needed to stop wasting the money that i already was making or had and so when i first realized like okay this is not a volume game for me this needs to be a we need to go back to the whale hunter that's how i built my entire career and it started as, okay, so what does it mean to start taking micro steps in that direction? You know, how do we start uh, moving in that direction? Because we didn't have what you call a preponderance of data. Basically just means multiple data points, right? We didn't have a lot of data to support that, how to do this in the real estate world. So we need to take micro steps. So what that started was just like with any business, everything starts with marketing and leads. It's like, well, I had this FOMO, you know, this fear that, well, what's going to happen if I turn the direct mail off and the cold calling and the texting and we just turn off all these marketing sources? I'm not going to get any leads. It's like, OK, well, why don't we just do a podcast, see how it goes? That first podcast went really well. It's like, I kind of like this. Let's do another podcast. I remember when I set this background up after like my third or fourth podcast and Nick was like, whoa, 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 slow down there, Turbo. Like you're already designing a studio or whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's probably going a little fast, but like, I love this. I'm loving this. And I've done three podcasts and according to Dan, all I need is three data points. So no, I'm <laughs> kidding, but, but that was my first micro step. And you and Nick helped me kind of realize how to shift myself to align with my own strengths and playing my own game. I just took a bunch of notes and thoughts that I have about what you were just sharing. You mentioned that when you got into real estate, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but you wanted it to create some passive income. Is that accurate? Uh, yes. There's a bit of a reframe, which uh, you already know, but I'm just going to say for the sake of the listeners, is that when we want something that's passive, it has to be reliable. Otherwise, if it's not reliable, you're going to have to be involved, which means you're now active, maybe very active. And even worse, if it's not reliable, you may not know when you're going to have to be involved. And so you're kind of always on almost eggshells or on because uh, maybe I got to have my phone on 24 seven because there might be an issue that comes up. I got to jump on. Right? It's not reliable. And so that recognition of I need to simplify things 
It's going to make it more reliable for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for the, for the audience, if you're uh, thinking about things, or you're, you're actively pursuing passive investments, your frame of reference needs to be, how do I make this reliable? And your process and your game is different than Paul's game and my game and Steve's. So how are you going to get there? There isn't one way. There's an infinite number of ways. Uh, but it needs to be reliable for, for you. Some people like a lot of automation and systems and all that sort of stuff. I don't. I like the least amount of steps possible because that's, that's just how my uh, brain works. Um, I encourage people. I love themes. So... Every, at least every other year, it seems my theme is just back to basics because we largely already have all the answers about what we, like most of our questions are preferences. So over the course of a year, two years, I'm gonna add complexity because I'm someone who creates problems so I have something to solve. And so every, <laughs> every at least two years, I gotta like, Back to basics. How have I overcomplicated everything? <laughs> and how do I just simplify it again? So it's, I've increased the reliability. So it's becoming more passive. Um, the other thing that you, uh, you were talking about is data. Uh, so many of us just fight against rhythms, data in and of itself. Uh, many of us say we're data driven and we're not actually data driven because we make investments based off a single data point. And so chart is going up, good, I'm going to buy. Chart is going down, bad, I'm going to sell. Real estate market is up today, I should buy. Real estate market is down today, I should sell. Uh, and that's not a trend. Now, that's where People who don't have mental models and structures and stuff, again, are very exploitable because you show them one data point, they're going to want to buy. If it's a positive data point, you show them a negative data point, they're going to want to sell. We need more than one data point for it to be a trend. And so if you just simply from today's discussion, change your orientation from how do I make something passive to how do I make something reliable? And how can I stop making decisions based off a single data point to how can I start making decisions based off actual trends? You just became 50% less exploitable, mm -hmm. maybe more just from those two things. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, your mentor who was a part of CCA, who I yeah. learned a tremendous amount from Randy Massengale, who was the senior advisor to Bill Gates in the uh, 2000s when uh, he was diffusing the internet. Yeah. He talks about this concept. Uh, he says repetition. I'm going to I'm going to elaborate slightly for those who sure. aren't familiar yeah. with it. But repetition leads to intensity, which leads to purpose. And oftentimes we try to define our purpose too soon. And so what I mean by that is I was trying to say, I'll, I want passive income. And, and really, that's just because like that's what most people say. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not like I don't want passive income. And, and, and we have this reframe now towards what we really want is reliable income. Yes. But, but by taking these micro steps, 
moving towards this process of actually playing my game and, and saying that phrase over and over and over. It's funny because I play a game almost every single day. I'm going to go play after this call. Basketball. You yes. and I are big basketball guys. Yes. Yep. And it's funny because what I realized is that I want to actually – the way that I like to play is the same way I play pickup basketball. And in order to have the ability to go play pickup basketball, I need to have some level of reliability in my life that I can just like go and play whenever I want to play. So what I actually realized that my solvable problem is, and, and this is the idea of do the reps, that leads to intention, intensity, and that leads to figuring out what your actual purpose is, is yes, I want reliable passive income. But the reason why I want that is so that I can go out and play business like a sport. I am getting ready to close in about two weeks on the largest deal of my career. 18 townhouses here in Denver. It's a, it's a huge project for me and big win. It's a whale. Classic whale. Classic, classic whale. Yep. You know, and yep. it's like, if it wasn't for what I learned in the CCA, and through your mentorship and this in these frameworks, these mental models, I would probably still be spinning my wheels, playing other people's games, chasing more and more and more, and not having fun, right? Like the best part about this is that I'm playing this business now the same way I play pickup basketball, which is like I go there not because I have to be there, but because I want to be there. When I'm in the game, I'm playing as hard as I can play. Like, I play to win. But when I step off the court, like, whether I won or lost that game has no bearing on my mental state because I have reliability in my life. That's, that's what gave the reliable side of the barbell so much meaning and clarity is because, like, oh, right, I can't play business like I play pickup basketball if I don't have reliability, classic barbell stuff. 100%. I have a question for you. I know we got a couple of minutes left. Uh, so I'll try to try to be brief with this stuff. Going back 12, 18 months ago, and all that you were doing then, had this 18 townhouse opportunity shown up, do you think you would have, one, been aware of it, two, been able to capitalize on it? Uh, probably not. I mean, certainly speculative with the, probably not because you were so busy, right? And resources were so constrained. We're speculating. Maybe you would have, but from, uh, knowing what I know about the details and everything, uh, we wouldn't have even maybe we wouldn't have had the option to participate or you wouldn't have had the option of saying we are not part of this deal, but, uh, you wouldn't have had the option because you're too busy with everything else. Resources were too tied up, right? Yeah. This just goes back to playing our game, uh, being less exploitable, puts us in a position where we can capitalize on these home run opportunities when they present themselves. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for you, there's a bunch of other people in the real estate market that were too busy playing other people's games that you didn't have to compete with on this deal, right? 
Um, so in a, in a way, like you benefit from that. But this all leads back to something that Randy says over and over again, which is go to school on my tuition. In this case, for people who are in the real estate world, go to school on Paul's tuition. He's already paid the price in the past. Uh, learn these lessons. And now uh, you're sharing them on this podcast, but really sharing them on a practical basis in the whale club. And it's one thing for people to teach principles and concepts. It's another, uh, it's a whole other level when someone's teaching these principles and concepts because they've lived it and they've had the frame of reference of this is what I used to do and this is what I'm doing now and I have a lot more options and I'm having a lot more fun. Yeah. Well said. And so if you guys want to learn more about all this, let me give you a couple things to do. First off, if you haven't already, if you're watching this live and you're watching the video, I'm holding up a copy of Dan's uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller, Rigging the Game. Uh, when I went through all this with Dan, I didn't have this. didn't have this book, right? I, I uh, you know, was listening to Dan tell me this. He's got a fantastic program called the CCA where he takes purpose-driven entrepreneurs through this process. If you want to learn more about that, you can check out certaintytools.com. Fantastic information. Dan and Nick are partners with Steve and I in the Whale Club to bring this information specifically to the real estate community, to teach real estate investors how to rig the game for their life. First of all, how to identify what does it mean to play your game? how to build your own solvable problem so you know you're getting closer. And then the actual tool belt, as we call it, the tools, the frames, the principles, these things. All of this is outlined in that book. If you haven't picked this book up by now, probably just, you know, don't, if you listen this far, I'm sure that you've read the book, but definitely go pick up this book. Second thing is, this is what we do inside of our community. Now, we have a ton of free information that you can get at realestatecertainty.com. You can go there. We actually just put up a ton of blog articles about the solvable problem, about how you know we go about doing this in the real estate space. We've got a free community where you can learn more about this. You can drop into some of our calls and hear other real estate investors who are taking this same stuff and applying it to their businesses. And if you're interested in joining us and learning how to implement these things inside of your life, from realestatecertainty.com, you can get access to our wait list and you can join us for the next round of whales that we bring in that we're going to be doing here over the next few weeks. Dan, anything you'd like to add? There's one, there's, there's one last thing I just want to add on to the end of, the, end of this. And it's going to sound biased because... Nick and I made the decision that we felt like you and, and Steve were the guys to diffuse the certainty operating system for real estate investors. Right? So I'm biased. My, my perspective is biased on the whale club because of our belief in you and Steve. So with, with that said, look, you, you said it in the beginning of the podcast that uh, we've been in a, a bit of an economic winter, depending on your perspective, uh, that may continue for six months, a couple years, whatever. Uh, I'm not going to make any economic uh, predictions around that. Uh, 
during these times of economic uh, winter, what happens? We feel even more pain because we get even more scrutiny and expectations haven't gone down. Um, but the market isn't sort of playing to our favor in the sense of there aren't as many opportunities. So if you listen for the last hour, what does that mean? It means that compared to a year ago or two years ago, you're potentially that much more exploitable because you're in that much more pain. And so uh, that's where I would challenge, encourage people to be a part of a community like Whale Club uh, that's going to give you the tools to make you less exploitable because really during these periods of economic certainty, this is when you can make the, you can gain the most amount of ground. There's more asymmetry right now, arguably. And that could be a whole other hour podcast on me explaining my bias and why I think there's more asymmetry now than uh, during good times. But there's more asymmetry, and many of you aren't going to be able to participate in that because you have all your resources tied up because you're being sold on these false narratives and playing your own game. You're playing someone else's game. So if you want to be less exploitable and really win, honestly, now's the time to be in something like Whale Club. Well said, Dan. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your friendship, your mentorship, uh, guiding me through this process. I wouldn't be where I am today without you. Thank you for, uh, for everything you do for us and for everybody who's listening. Thanks for, for listening to us for the last hour. Uh, I encourage you guys to go check out realestatecertainty.com to learn more. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode.